On today's episode, we're going to follow up our conversation with Blair Enns about one of his rules in Blairtopia. Say what you mean. I'm making this a rule here at the office, but it turns out some people have some questions. We're going to have a conversation about what it really means. If you haven't done so, listen to last week's conversation first. A big thing for me for a long time has been figuring out how to be open with thoughts and feelings and yet still be kind. And that's one of the things that Blair talks about, or he mentions at least in the podcast. And I wanted to talk more about that with you because that's a big thing for you as well. So how do you, as as a businessman, how do you say what you need to say and not come off as a jerk, I guess? Mm. So just for clarification, I know we just rolled off of it, but just so that there's no confusion about this. As Blair was talking about, if he could change the laws of the universe, like gravity, one of his laws would be speak your mind or say what you think. And that hit you a little bit, right? So yeah. Stuart, people are still getting to know who you are. And let's give this a little context. Where'd you grow up and why is this a thing for you? I am a Southern boy by nature. I was born in Houston, Texas, raised for a little bit of my life there, but mostly grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. So basically the cradle of the South. We were very much taught, be nice. Southern hospitality. Yeah, Southern hospitality. The charm, the manners, all that. If you don't have anything good to say about somebody, then don't say anything at all. What else? Uh, What else did you grow up with? Try and be kind. You know, of course... Give the, the shirt some get give the shirt off your back to somebody. Is yeah, that, that kind of yeah that that kind of that kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, one thing that I have been coming across a lot lately is the idea that being able to have a discussion with somebody and say the things that you need to say is extremely important in being able to grow your relationship with them and being able to grow whatever it is that you might be doing with them, whether it's a business or whether it's, you know, like I said, a relationship or whatever it may be, being able to be honest and open with somebody is extremely important. And that as a Southerner, that's been hard for me in the past. Great. I have several questions for you and I think I'm close to figuring this thing out. Okay. (laughs) The first question I have for you is, assuming that we're both from the South, that Southern charm, hospitality we just talked about, then we're operating under the same rules of conduct. Now, first part of this is, do you have problems saying what you think when it comes to positive things, or is it just for negative things, things that you disagree on? I think it's just for negative things. That's what I suspected. So if you see an attractive lady, it's like, you know, morning, ma'am, you're beautiful, whatever, no problem there, right? Or those are very attractive shoes, or you have a beautiful home. Mm-hmm. Or your kids are well-mannered. All That's all fine. So it's where there's some conflict, some potential tension or whatever. Then you don't say it. So if we're both from the South and we have a disagreement, how do we articulate that? How do we understand that we're not seeing eye to eye? <laughs> I mean, this is a real that thing depends, for you. Yeah, that depends on uh, that depends on how far how deep the disagreement goes. Let's you say know, you were, we're haggling over the price of a car. Like, I want to sell you my car, and you want to buy the car, and we're not that close in terms of our price. Do you defer to the person who's more senior, or the person who's more in power, or do you guys kind of 
just politely dance around it for an hour and a half. How do you do that? Well, there's a dance. There is. There's a dance. And then you basically whoever ends up politely deferring first, I think, wins. Um, I, I would say I would say like wins or loses. <laughs> if you defer to me, then I say I want a higher price. And you're like, you know what? You're probably right. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Loses. Yeah, right? whoever politely the yeah. first first loses. Yeah. Or do you try to kill him with charm? Because that's an also another southern thing. You can kill him with compliments and say, yeah, I'm sure your car is so worth it. I'm just a poor boy and, you know, and I, I, I don't mean to, you know, you, you go the opposite. You give him too many compliments where they feel like, gosh, I better give it to him. Yeah. Do you do that? Do you do it that way or? There's there's times when that works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... You know, she sure you is got, a beaut. You you got to kind of shore up the other person and make them feel really special, and then you can kind of come in with you know gently the reality. Yeah, yeah. But um, I I think there's I think there's a lot of situations that I've been in where I've I need I need to say something that I know is going to cut somebody to the bone, but at the same time, like it needs to be said, and I can't do it. Okay. So what's going on in your head? Who are you fighting? And what are you feeling? Let's I know you guys can't see us, but I'm going to ask Stuart to close his eyes a little bit and try to dive into his soul. Okay? So if you and I are disagreeing about something, let's say it's a piece of creative thing, then what are you thinking about? As a recent example, I would say that I have had a friend who needs to change something in order to change his life but at the same time I don't feel like it's my place to say what that is I see so he hasn't come out and asked you for advice yet right but you can see it like a mile away this is kind of what's going to happen and and you're you don't feel like there's an opening for you to say it yeah okay so what's going on internally what's the conflict one person wants to say uh, Jimmy hopefully that's not the same Jimmy I can see that this relationship you have is totally toxic. I think uh, you need to get it yourself out. Let's just say that's the piece of advice. What's holding you back from saying that? What is the other voice you hear inside your head? It's none of my business. <laughs> and who is saying that to you? Decades of my parents and teachers and, you know, all the all all the people that raised me to the point of adulthood saying like Who raised you? Was it your mom, your grandmother, your dad? Uh, mostly, mostly my mom. Okay. Yeah. So she would um, say to you, uh, don't stick your nose where it doesn't belong, mind your own business or whatever, biswax. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In this one situation, I, I don't necessarily think there's anything going on wrong. One of my things is to try not to give people advice when they're not seeking it because you'll rub them the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to men, men especially, when somebody gives you a piece of advice, you feel disrespected. You feel like you're being talked down to. Like a flashback from when your father would lecture you or Jimmy, don't do that. You never do this. And I personally, as a man, don't want advice from anybody unless I'm seeking it. Mm-hmm. So somebody walks in the room, imagine this. You and I are reviewing this edit. Somebody walks in the room, somebody that works here, walks in the room, listens to it for like two minutes, like, you guys, that work, that edit's not working. Change it. They'd walk out of the room, you'd have to look at each other like, who the heck is that? What context do you have for this? And right? Or I invite Aaron or Matthew or somebody, I say, take a listen to this. I'm not sure if this is working. Give me your honest feedback. 
So then they've given us permission to say what we need to say. And I, in the past, have made this mistake before where somebody asked me, what do you think? Which is a very broad and open question. And I'm a very direct guy. So I'll go in there and give you my honest, unfiltered feedback because I don't have time to waste. And then they, they give me that look of horror. Like, what did I do? And I feel insulted and slighted. So now I've learned. I've learned. So when somebody says, what do you think? I usually follow up with a question or two before I even say anything. Say, are you looking for positive affirmation from me? Or are you looking for a very specific piece of feedback? So I want to get permission from them before I start opening my mouth. Mm. So that's one thing I want you to think about, right? Uh, So in your situation, nobody's invited you to comment yet. But if this is a dear, dear friend, it could be a family member, childhood friend, and you see harm being done to them, I believe you can ask for permission. I, I want to mind my own business, Jimmy, but I'm seeing things and I'm conflicted. Like I want to speak up, but I also don't want to insult you. And I know you're not looking for advice right now. That's an opening. Mm-hmm. And if Jimmy wants to hear from you, he'll ask, oh my gosh, sir, what are you, what are you thinking? Tell me what you think. Yeah. And then you say, okay, it's about this thing. Are you sure? Can I have your permission? Because I value our friendship. And it hurts me to see you being hurt. So that's one way. So this is in the podcast when we talk about the art of communication. Learning how to articulate your thought process and slowing down that chain of thought. Making your thoughts transparent. Allowing somebody to see your inner struggle. And that's what I just did. I'd like to say something. I care about you a lot, but I'm afraid that it's going against who you are, our our standards together, and I don't want to hurt you. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to do something or no? And then then you're kind of opening it up. I was thinking if you had to say something to protect your own self-interest instead of acting on uh, on the behalf of another, how do you resolve that and what's the conflict and the dialogue that's going on? For example, let's say you're cutting an episode and I give you some feedback and yes, you you do work for me. So there's a kind of a hierarchy and a structure and presumably you're working here too because you want to learn things from me as well. But if you wholeheartedly disagree with something and you want me to consider it, is that same kind of Southern upbringing holding you back from saying what you think? I think at times... It probably does. Yeah. I I know in the past there have been times where um, I have deferred on criticism because the person is, you know, has a seniority level above me. And they say, this is what's wrong with this. This is what I want you to fix. And I have there's there's reasons, you know, that it is the way that it is. But I just fix it. And I don't, you know, I don't come back. You know, I don't have, basically, I guess I have not had the courage in the past to say, like, this is, this is why this is. And I, and I think that it works this way better. And there have been times when I've been right, you know, I've changed the thing. And then the person comes back in, they go, oh, this doesn't work, you know, uh, to put it back the way that you had it. But I would almost, I would say 99% of the time defer to whoever is the senior person because it's a respect thing. And I have trouble saying what I think needs to be said. Okay. This one is really tricky. Lots and lots of layers here to kind of unpack. 
And the reason why we're talking about this in the first place, obviously, this is a common problem with you and people like you. And I identify myself in this situation often as well. And I've just continued to work on it myself and try and find different tools to help me so that I can be of service to my client, my friends, and my family, whatever. The first part of this is you have a thought and you're deferring out of respect. So again, I'm going to ask you to crawl into your brain for a little bit and kind of think about what you're thinking about. What's happening inside your brain right now in that moment? I would say that what is happening in my brain at that moment would be that I want to back up my work and help them to understand why I made those decisions. But at the same time, there's a realization in my mind that that person is in the position that they're in over me. So I need to respect their input and assume that their input is basically more valuable than mine. Okay. So do you feel like if you said something, then that would be a sign of disrespect? Yes. Okay. So there's a couple things going on here. The first thing I think about is when you say, I want to be able to defend the work or defend the decisions being made. That sounds like a very uh, personal thing, one that comes, I don't know how else to say this, but from ego. Mm -hmm. Whereas somebody's giving you feedback, it's almost an assault on the decisions you made. So I'm going to say the first part to this and getting rid of this emotional part, which is to listen very objectively. What is it that they're saying? What is it that they want? has nothing to do with what I did with the decisions being made. And if we can have a conversation stripped of emotion, then it'll allow us to speak very clearly with one another without stirring it up and amping up the tension. Right? We don't want to do that. So when somebody's giving you feedback, I think whether you're an editor or a designer or anything, I do this with my clients. I don't really care about what we did. None of that matters to me at this point in time. And I'm not here to justify or explain because I'm pretty comfortable with the work that I did. That's not to say it's a good fit for the client. Do you know what I mean? Like if you make a really great um, handbag for women and it's beautiful and it works on nine out of 10 women, but for whatever reason, the skin tone, the complexion or the style or the body shape, it just doesn't work. It has nothing to do with whether the bag is working. It works, the handbag. It just doesn't work for that person. So I've learned to kind of edit out the motion part and just listen. So when somebody's giving me feedback, I just want to hear what it is want to, what it is that they have to say. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow it up with lots of questions to really understand at the root. Most people are good at describing the symptoms to you. They don't really know what the cause is. Oh, I hate this. That's a symptom to me. It's too busy. That's another symptom for me. And then I have to keep asking. Then it gets down to this thing where I can't read the type over the picture. That's getting to a little bit more at the root. And now as an expert, I can diagnose that and say, okay, if you can't read the type, there's a number of creative options that I can do to fix the problem. I can change the contrast. We can pick a different typeface. I can make it bolder. Maybe there's animation and it shouldn't be animation. Or I could put a drop shadow behind it. Now, these are all the things that are within my creative arsenal that I can use to solve that problem in the most effective way, in keeping with my own aesthetic values and things like that. So then once I understand the real problem, I offer up a solution. I understand you don't think this is legible. I agree with you, actually. Let me try some options. Why don't you give me whatever the amount of time is? Could be 
five minutes, it could be 10 days, whatever you require. And let me show you some creative options. Is that okay with you? So I'm not trying to say, well, I did it because it sounds very defensive. And then it puts the other person at on edge too. It's like, what do you mean? Now you're not, you know, you're not open to new ideas. You're not a good collaborator and you're actually not a really good listener either. Okay. So let's just say it's something much more specific and less kind of open-ended where somebody's like, oh, I want to try this shot. And you know you've gone through every single shot and there's no way you could be wrong. After you listen and process like this shot isn't working for you, you want to go from the, you know, the other take. That's what you want to try. Okay, I will show you. Um, I've actually looked at all of it. Most of it's out of focus. Most of it is too shaky. It, it, it's, it won't work. But let's look at it together. We'll scrub, scrub, scrub. Are you guys, are you seeing anything? No, no, no. So we're aligning and sharing the process versus saying, I already took care of it. Yeah. Because I will tell you on the flip side, I've gone into rooms before and asked for an edit change and the immediate reaction is not going to work. It's like, you didn't even let me finish my sentence. And whereas you might be right 99% of the time, I feel like I'm right 99% of the time where they try it and there's a lot of hemming and hawing and a half-ass effort. But ultimately, when we actually sit down and try it, it works. And when it doesn't work, there's good news for you too. Instead of getting frustrated or saying, uh, nobody ever listens to me or anything, you actually start to prove yourself very quietly without ever having to say it. So if I'm asking you to change an edit two or three times in a row, and no, no matter what we do, we've given a good earnest effort, and it, the, the original is better, this is when the fourth time the person comes in and says, it's not working, but I trust you and here's kind of what I think it needs to do and then you figure it out. And if it doesn't need to be changed because you already did it, then so be it. Just say that that's the case. Now, these are very clear-cut things. This gets much trickier when it's not clear-cut. When you negotiate a price, for example, where there isn't a right price or wrong price, it's just the price that we'll agree to together. Now, we are often bidding on projects and by bidding i mean we have to submit a creative treatment a budget a schedule terms of agreements all that kind of stuff terms conditions etc and the one thing that we used to be afraid of doing was to have a very open conversation about what the budget is so we would go away and try to figure out the budget and make a lot of guesses we try to figure out how long we're going to work on it, what kind of manpower, etc. And we put something together. So for the sake of our discussion, let's say it's $100,000, nice round number, hundred grand. We could go in, work on it for days, submit the budget for hundred grand, and then the client doesn't call us back. We're thinking they don't like the creative, but something's wrong. And we find out later on they had $48,000 to do the project. I know that you guys are listening, so that's a lot of money, and it is a lot of money, but it's a lot less than $100,000. So now we've learned we cannot walk away without having clear dialogue about the things that we're asked to do. I, I And one of my opening lines usually when it comes to money is, I've done projects for $10,000, I've done them for a hundred and for over a million dollars. Where are we? Because I can build you something based on your budget. But I don't think it behooves either of us if I come back to you with a budget for something you can't afford. I believe we've wasted your time. And ours as well. Okay. And I'm I'm in the design business. I'm not in the budget building business. 
So let's have a really honest conversation about what the budget is. So I'm giving rationale behind that. Now, most people, especially in the creative field, are very reluctant to talk about money. So the thing is, after all these years running this company, of having producers and creative directors come in here, they're still reluctant to talk about money. After all the training and the talking, if the client pushes back and says, no, you tell us, they buckle. So I realize it's still an ongoing problem. But for whatever reason, I've worked past that and I have no problem saying it. I have no problems asking Stuart as a client what parameters or how will you make your decision on who to award the job to? Do you think we're a good fit so far? I have no problems just asking. Mm-hmm. And I tell them why. Because if, if it's something we've said, the budget's too high, the schedule's too long or too short, something makes you nervous, I'd like to know because I'd like an opportunity to fix it before we go away. It doesn't help you if we do this and it's just, it's an exercise in futility. I also would like to know if you already have a vendor in mind and you just need a third bid, I'm happy to provide that number too, but I don't want to waste my time. And sometimes when I say that, they say, yeah, you guys are the third bid. Then I have my producers figure out the number and just submit a generic bid. Yeah. I don't want to waste any more time. That's the place that I would like to be at, that I could have a conversation with someone on that level where I can say, like, let's not hem and haul, like, over stuff. Let's just get to the point and get at this thing instead of doing the Southern song and dance. Yeah. So where I'm a fan of movies, and Aaron, I know, is a big film buff too, right? And the reason why films work is because of misunderstanding and miscommunication. If the guy just told the girl how he felt, she wouldn't date his best friend. Or if the girl who's in love with the guy, again, says how she feels, he wouldn't treat her like his best friend. But that's how movies work. And we watch it, it's kind of painful. And inside our voice, we connect with that character. And we are saying to that character, just say how you feel. Just tell him you love him. Just tell him if you leave, I won't be here. I can't wait for you forever. And oddly enough, though, in real life, the thing that we want to say is the thing that we don't say. And so there's a lot of miscommunication. So I'm afraid to push you or ruffle the feathers. And so I won't ask you about your budget. So you think everything's cool. And then I go do something that's either too low or too high. And we know how that is. If you ever hired anybody, the low budget and the really, really high budget tend not to be the budgets that get chosen. Something's wrong. They're cutting corners. Yeah. Oh, they're just killing us. They're padding this job. They're, they're trying to pull one over us because it's too high. So I'm a business person, and I like to speak to other business people and try to just understand what are we working with? I've been doing this for too long to do this dance where you pretend like you don't know what your budget is. So I just want to talk about it. And I also don't want to go away making assumptions about creatively what you want. Because I know what it's like to be on the other side. When you work with a creative person and you don't even really get to tell them what you're thinking, and they're like, I got it. And they just run. Sometimes that works out. Most often it doesn't. Because what they wind up doing is just making what they want, not what I want. So I actually enjoy somebody who spends the time to ask me questions about what I, what I want. So whenever I say one of these things, I can always tell the room gets a little bit stiff. Like, oh, there goes Chris. He just asked them what they're going to do, what they're going to spend if we're the third bid. And after we get off the call, they're all relieved, a big sigh of relief. Like, oh, thank God you were here. 
So obviously, this is a lot more common than what we think. And this is where all the people who aren't Southern say, Stuart, <laughs> just like the Janet <laughs> episode, like it's just a human issue. It's not even a creative issue. It's a human issue. And it has nothing to do with the South. Yeah. It just depends on what culture, what society you were raised in. I also noticed, though, in some cultures, some Asian and some European cultures, they're very direct and it throws people off. They say Americans are too polite. They're, they're, they they kind of conceal what they're thinking. And then how do we get business done? How do I know what you want? I, I don't want to bake you a cake and realize you have a, a, what is that, a gluten intolerance or something. That's the interesting thing is you've been talking about budgets a lot. In my time as a freelancer, I think it extends to almost everything because I felt like when I was when I was freelancing, I always felt like I had to have a wall up at all times. What wall like was I that? couldn't I couldn't be honest about anything with potential clients. That's that sounds really bad. <laughs> but it's like you You don't want to offend anybody. Yeah, you you don't want to offend anybody. So it's like if they're trying to small talk you, you have to be really careful with what you say. If they if they say, "Hey, we want to do this. How much will it cost?" Uh, you know, who 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 am I talking to? Are these are these guys that want to do things for $1,000 or for $10,000? Why don't you, know, you just how, ask that though? In my mind, it's like you you can't at you can't okay, ask. Okay, I know question. what it is. I got it. So I get it. I run into this a lot. People walk around with a playbook of rules. The question is, they operate without ever wondering where these rules came from, if they make sense, if they're good for you, and then they don't think about the consequences of when they act on these rules and they don't, things don't work out. Yeah. So then I say, well, give me your rule book. Well, who wrote the rules in the rule book? And then that's when it gets really mysterious and kind of fuzzy. Nobody is able to clearly pinpoint where those rules came from. Okay. I'm a little bit of a freakazoid. I think about the things I think about a lot. And I've been doing this since I was probably nine years old. So I have a pretty clear memory of who inceptioned an idea in my brain at what time. And and then now I'm aware of it as an adult. I can go back there. I can travel back in time. I can have a conversation with myself and, and say, was that person giving you good advice? Were they qualified to give you advice? Would you take that advice from a person today if you met them? Mm-hmm. And more often than not, the answer is no. So I've learned mostly through my father, who is a great man, a man I look up to very much, but he was the kind of guy who didn't like confrontation. He would leave everything alone until it got to a boiling point and then he would break. Yeah. Then he would speak his mind, right? The typical scenario would be if we're going out to lunch or dinner somewhere at a restaurant, he might complain the service is poor, his food is cold, or it's not what it's supposed to be or it's too salty. But he would only complain to my mom, hoping that she would then say something. And she would have no problem saying the food is too cold, this is the wrong thing. And and then eventually he would boil over and say, I'm out of here. <laughs> so you can see like there's extremes all the way. Yeah. And if it was just something that we can learn. So I inherited this from my father and I've been running around with this operating system for a really long time. So if you had said something to me and I felt like it wasn't true to who I, who I was or what I wanted to do or say, I would just subjugate that and just like listen to you and kind of, even if we're peers, even if you're younger than me or if you're, if I'm above you, I would just go along with what you have to say because I don't want to ruffle feathers. But through years of coaching, 
some really powerful th- um, therapy sessions and reading and, and watching videos. I've learned how to operate in a way that doesn't make me like that typical New Yorker, like brash and just speaking my mind. But there's a there's a gradient between where I'm at and where that person might be in the stereotype. Yeah. And part of that is learning how to say what you think. So let's get into what you can do today. If you're listening to this podcast, obviously you're listening to it right now. What can you do? What are steps that you can take to say what you think? One is I, I want you to start thinking about stripping away the emotional parts. Don't react to things. Okay. If something's happening and let's start small. Just say what you think. And I think the problem is we have this image of ourselves that's just not even true. The one we try to project to the outside world. And where we think the world doesn't see our true who we are. So we keep pretending to be this person. Right? Uh, there was a young woman who came in here a couple days ago. And she's one of our fans from YouTube. And I said a couple of things and her body language changed. Her facial expressions changed. And I said, what's going on with you? I'm not saying I understand like what's going on, but I see that there's a change. You shifted your body language, your eyes averted, your chin moved, and I, I'm, I'm paying careful attention to things because mm-hmm. I'm always trying to read what's going on. I'm attentive to what's going on. And I misread it. I thought she was getting emotional, and she wasn't. What she said to me was, I feel like as I'm sharing with you, you're judging me, and you're going to respect me less. And that's when I said to her, I think you think of yourself as a way that I don't think of you. I just see you as another person walking into this room. And I think I already know everything about you before you walked in here. And nothing you you really say or do is going to ultimately change that. You just are who you are and accept you for who you are. So thinking that you're here to impress me or not impress me, that's in your own head and has nothing to do with me. I want you to realize no matter what you say, I just accept you as a creative being who's trying to figure it out in the world. And we're all at different points in life. And we're all working towards improving. And we're not trying to compare your success to my success, your failure to my failure. One thing that I needed to let this woman know was that I've already decided who she is by allowing or agreeing to meet with that person. So if I didn't respect her, if I didn't consider her somebody I would give up my time for, then I wouldn't have even allowed the meeting to take place. Is what people don't understand. Once you're invited into the room... You have nothing left left to prove. So it's okay to be just who you are. Mm-hmm. It's this kind of fictional narrative that you generate. And I'll give you a very personal story here. Uh, I was asked to judge, I, I think it was for the BDA, Broadcast Design Association. And at that point in time, I had done only one or two broadcast titles. Most of the work we did was in commercials. Now, I wasn't invited to enter. I wasn't invited to cater the event or provide comedic relief i was invited to be a judge one who oversees and determines based on my taste and uh, whatever criteria i'm going to use to allow a, a piece to win an award but when i walked into the room it was a fancy place i could see that everybody knew each other and they all worked in broadcast and nobody knew who i was i felt like such a fake person like what what am i doing here i'm not qualified to be here and I acted really weird. I was just standing in the middle of the room where I was chatting, you know, and they're standing at the bar drinking, shaking hands, like, good to see you, Bobby, Mary Jane. How's it going? And all that kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, do they know that I don't do broadcast work as a staple? Am I even qualified to be here? 
And I'm only looking back and I say, what a freaking idiot. You're already invited to be a judge. You have nothing left to prove. Instead of trying to pretend to see like they would know that I'm not a broadcast person, that's the thing that was going on, right? So I was being an imposter in a room of broadcast people. What I should have done was shake hands with people like, I admire the work you guys do. I do commercials. I, I, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm happy to help, <laughs> right? Yeah. So the admission of whatever the fear is, the gap between who you are and who you think they want you to be, makes that all go away. It's the best tool that I've found for myself to get rid of that imposter syndrome. It's just to yeah. own who you are. Now, we've heard many, many people say, just own you are, go 100%, go 200% in on who you are and forget the rest. That's a nice kind of slogan. But my technique is, I think you know who you are and then you know who you're trying to be in that room. And the longer you pretend that that person exists, is the weirder you get, the less confident you become, the harder it is for you to say what it is you're thinking. So the first thing you do is just admit it. Just throw it out there. I am this person. And I can get into Aaron's story too, which is pretty hilarious, but I'm sure he doesn't want me to tell you a story. Uh, <clears throat> you said you know who you are and who you're trying to be when you're in this situation, right? Yeah. So you know who you are? Yeah, that's the first... You know who you are because that's the person you're afraid that people will discover and think you're a fool. And I'll give you an example now because that was Aaron talking. He doesn't have a mic today. You know who you are because Aaron went out on a date. And he, at the time, no longer, was living at home. Right? And so he's having a really great connection with this beautiful woman. They met online. They're talking. And he's thinking, if she discovers that I'm living at home, she's going to think I'm a total loser. That I can't get anywhere. I'm a mama's boy. I'm too old to be living at home. Does my mom do my laundry too? What's going on? So he's worried about that. So I'm sure whatever they're talking about, he's sitting there very carefully straying away from anything that's got to do with where he lives. Up until a point in which she's like, hey, so where do you live? He's like, I'll live here. And then he started to lie. And, and I don't even say, like, it shouldn't even be the word lie. But he, he, he wanted to perpetuate this image of himself. He's like, I'll live with a couple of college friends. So whatever. They wind up driving back to his parents' place. And this is not a neighborhood where young college kids live. <laughs> and she's like, are you sure this is your where you live with your college friends? And he's like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. And it gets really weird and awkward. And it's super suspicious and weird. Okay. So I had asked him, what were you afraid of? Well, that she would discover I'm a loser and I live at home. I said, well, why are you living at home? Because I'm saving up money. Because I'm now entering this into this creative career where I used to study finance. And I want to be smart about how I save my money because I want to buy better camera equipment to further my career. I said, if somebody told you that, would you judge them as a loser? He goes, no. So why didn't you just say that? I, I, I don't know. So imagine again, I said, replay the situation. She's talking about stuff and it's like, you know what? I live at home. So there you are. You just let it out. I'm going to reveal my true self instead of the person that I want you to think of me. And the funny thing is she knew he lived at home the whole time. That's why she asked that question. <laughs> no, maybe not though. I mean, no, no, no. Without a doubt. <laughs> you, you see, the thing is, part of this, part of this is, is you think you're slicker, cooler, smarter than the person. You don't give them credit. 
The same thing yeah. with the woman who came into my office who said, oh, now you won't respect me. It's like, I've either respected you or not, but the fact of the matter that I've given you my time should tell you that there's something here. Yeah. Right? So I said, if you had just said to this woman, I live at home, I'm making this really hard transition from being a guy who studied finance into a creative career because I just realized late in life that that wasn't for me. And, you know, cinematography and what I do is not a cheap endeavor. And since I didn't learn this in school, I got to buy all this equipment and I figure like it's the smartest thing for me to do. And then she has to make a decision. Is this the guy that I want to continue having a relationship with or not? And that's not in your power anymore. You're just given the information. That's it. But I think if I were a woman and a man said that to me, I'm like, wow, points for self-awareness, points for uh, um, honesty and for getting your career on track and knowing what you want and going through this process of self-discovery. That's very mature. So part of that is just giving up on this idea of this other version of you that I don't think anybody sees but you. Yeah. Like Meryl Streep is famous for being uh, for having imposter syndrome when she's the most nominated female actress of all time. Okay? Meryl Streep. She says, I fear that one day everybody's going to wake up and realize that I have no talent. You see, so like in her mind, she must think of herself as a certain thing that's far beyond what everybody else already accepts her for and appreciates her for. So even at the highest level, this impacts people. Now, when I said that you had this kind of astonished look on your face, did you know that this is the case? If you look up imposter syndrome, Meryl Streep, you'll see this. The, the reason that I had that astonished look on my face is because I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine about this very thing. Both of us have realized that we that we suffer from that same thing. You know, both of us have these feelings that when we're in certain situations, we fear that people are going to realize that we're not good enough or we're not qualified enough or that they saw us as something different than what we were. And that at some point in time, that switch is going to flip, the lights are going to turn on and they're going to realize what the truth is. You know, one of the things that he said to me was that he's come to the point where he's had to realize that he's in the relationships that he's in and he is where he is because he got there due to the merits of the work that he did to make those relationships and make those jobs and make those gigs happen. Now, he still feels that a lot of times, but he has to remind himself when it creeps in what the truth is. Yeah. That that's that's why I was so surprised because we had had that conversation. It's the same conversation. Yeah. Hey, yo, John Roth here from the future. I'm here to tell you guys about the pro membership. A lot of you have been asking about how you can engage with us and where you can go to meet like-minded individuals. Well, I'm here to tell you how. For $75 a month with the pro membership, you can join Chris Doe's collective of creative entrepreneurs which includes everyone from designers to strategists to writers and more from all over the world. Also included is over 40 hours of exclusive videos on a variety of topics, from the business of design to project management, and access to two pro calls a month, where you can have your questions answered by Chris live. All that and more in your pro membership for just $75 a month. Not afraid of commitment? Sign up for a year and save $150. The Pro Membership exclusively in the online store.
Go to thefuture.com slash shop for more. Part of the problem that I've had in the past is that I think in my youth, self-awareness was not always seen as like a positive thing. It was still about those rules. And I think I carried that too far into my adulthood. When did you have this discussion about self-awareness? I didn't even know that term until much later in life, even though I was quite self-aware. Like, were people actively saying you shouldn't be so self-aware or self-conscious? I don't know if conversations were phrased that way, but it was, I think it was the typical thing of like, if you started getting too honest with people, then they started to shy away from that. I think that, I think well, that's who kind told of a, you that? I think that's kind of a typical teenage thing, don't you think? We're just all trying to fit in. Yeah. Right? You're all, okay. you're all trying to fit in. I get it. The second you start being honest, you, you're no longer fitting in. So you're, well, you're so moving then, away from So that. you know what's happening then? We're in a room full of people pretending to be somebody who they're not. Right. Pretentious, fake. But there's a couple of things happening there. Again, we're trying to live up to that image of ourselves that we think people don't see. And I tell you, maybe I'm the rare duck here, but I see who everybody is right before me right now. I know who Aaron is. I know who you are. And you may think, Chris thinks I'm this kind of person. And if you told me that, I'm like, no, I know you for who you are and I accept you for who you are. And when you act all squirrely around me, that's when it gets awkward. When you try to be slicker or cooler. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, those sitcoms where somebody's like trying to be super cool and their shoes don't fit and they slip and fall. It's because it's obviously that's not the case. And we've seen a million rom-coms about the same thing. The rich man knows that the poor girl's poor. Mm-hmm. The rich girl knows that the poor guy's poor, pretending to be rich. Even in, in um, was it Aladdin? Like Jasmine knows that there's something funny about Aladdin. Like he has funny, goofy behaviors, right? When he wishes to be rich. Yeah. And he's overdoing it. He comes in on a parade of elephants and the whole bit. And we're all sitting there laughing like Aladdin. She would love you for who you are. Actually, you being rich is turning her off. Did I get that story right? I think so. I, I think so. I was thinking that sounds like a great movie. I'd love to see it. <laughs> it's called Aladdin's <laughs> My Disney <laughs> for Aaron. Uh, you know, so they're built on these structures that we all can recognize in others, but not in ourselves. But again, you know, when you had said it was not okay to be too self-aware when I was growing up. Remember that rule book? You just hit another page in the rule book. Yeah. This rule book of things that we walk around in life, governing our decisions and what we say and do, and to come from something or nothing. But we don't examine if these things are even things we should follow. I do know this, though. Happiness, happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do is in harmony. Whenever one of those things get out of alignment, there's a schism, you become unhappy. You start to pretend that you're somebody that you're not, and that's where disharmony comes in. Mm -hmm. So what you think, what you say, and what you do are in complete alignment. Okay, It's as if I came into this room and pretended to you guys that I have this beautiful head of hair, which I do not. I'm bald. I accept that. I'm an Asian guy. I accept that. Of a certain height and a certain build. I'm not trying to pretend to you something other than that. So when somebody says, nice haircut, Chris, I smile. I'm like, thanks. I know. I know. Imagine if I sat in this room, like, I wonder if they all think I've got this beautiful, like, pompadour or something. And I just hope they don't discover I'm bald. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So acknowledging and knowing your faults 
and whatever you believe to be true, to be self-aware, gives you that power to not act like a fool and to say what you think. That's just one part of it. I mean, this is going to be a really deep discussion. But is that helping to open up things in your mind right now? Because one of my objectives was to try and help you. And then, yeah. therefore, by extension, helping our audience. Let's do a follow-up. Aaron, Stuart, anything? I've, I've noticed a vast improvement in my happiness when you, from what you told me. Like, just tell people, start when you have to tell someone something tense like that. Just start with how it makes you feel first, what you're going through. Yeah. Just talk about that for a bit. And then usually they, you don't even have to say the thing. They'll get what you're, what you're even saying. Right. You know? Okay, so let me let me dive into this a little bit more. And we've talked about this before, and, but I haven't had this conversation with you, Stuart. So maybe your reaction to it might be a little different. I often tell people that when we want to say something that's very uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable for us because we imagine some kind of crazy fight. And then I say, well, be transparent. Say what you think. So most people think that means to say, you're ugly, you're fat. I don't like your beard. That's what I think, right? But that's really not what you think. Man, I... Right? <laughs> I'm not really, saying to you... Really hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about you. I'm just looking into the wall here. And if... No, you were looking at me when you said it. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. No. It's... When I say be transparent and say what you think, that's not what you think. That's some kind of reaction that's about emotions and what you feel. Honestly, the, the, what you're supposed to do is you should break down all these complex decisions that you're making in your head before the words you're fat, you're ugly, or, or you know whatever it is. Okay? So here's an example. Here's an example. Oftentimes this happens, and people in the creative community are going to know this, especially if you work with any kind of client. The client starts describing this wonderful project. You start feeling it. They feel you feeling it, and it's, everything's going great. And they describe this beautiful, elaborate thing. And then you ask the awkward and comfortable thing of, what's the budget? And you hem and haw about it, whatever. And then finally they say, uh, $15,000, when it should be fifty, fifteen one five instead of five zero. Now, normally people are like, "What? say what you think. So what would you say? That's crazy. Oh, that's so cheap. Oh, my God, you can't afford us. That's what you feel. It's not what you think. Oh, that's stupid. You're wasting my time. These are all the common reactions to something like that. Oh, what an insult. You don't respect me. Those are all feelings. Okay, it comes from your gut. This is like all your like limbic brain, right? What you should do is think about what you're thinking about and say that. So here's how I would do it. Say, when you say you only have $15,000, after having described this beautiful labor thing that we both want to build... I'm having a hard time resolving my mind how we could produce what you want for the budget that you have. So I'm wondering, did I understand the problem correctly? Is there more room in the budget to go north? Can we simplify this? Because I would like to do this job for you for whatever price you have, but not the one that you just described for this price. Where are we with it? On the either the scope or the budget so I can make this work. Otherwise... As sad as it might make me to say this, we're probably not the right company for you. And I'm not saying it can't be done. It just can't be done by us. You suck. 
That would be the reaction. Yeah, you, encapsulating you suck. You suck, you suck and suck. breaking it apart. Because uh, Simon Sinek's talk, he talks about the limbic brain, your gut, the thing that drives you, your emotions. It doesn't have language, but it drives you. Okay, It's not until you get into the outer cortex of your brain that language exists. But all the way in between that gray matter, we it, it gets busted up and, and we don't know what to say anymore. So all we do is we feel and it radiates out from us and we don't know what to do. So I just think that I've developed a skill to convert that you suck into that sentence I just said. How do you do that? Yeah. Well, you just crawl back into your brain, you break it down. Why does it suck? Well, I don't I want to do this. So when I every time I ask you this question, internally there's a conflict. If you can just talk about the two sides of the conflict, you'll do really well. So we have Rocky Balboa and we have Apollo Creed. We're fighting inside your brain. They're both you. There's the person who wants to play along to get along, and there's the person who wants to protect you from doing foolish things to hurt you. Most of the times, we just hear from one or the other voice, whichever one it is. So what I've done is I've articulated both blow by blow, Rocky Balboa and Apollo Creed. So I want to do this job, but what I just heard, here comes a bad guy. You just said $15,000. But on the other side, it was this beautiful, elaborate, complex thing that we both want to build. I'm having a hard time resolving the differences. So did I imagine something too big? Can we make that smaller? Or perhaps the budget isn't as low as we think, and it's something like this. And at the end of the day, if we said that none of these two characters can get along, then I'm probably not the right guy to do this for you. So I'm describing the blow-by-blow exchange between these two parts of my brain. So the only thing I can tell you right now as a a piece of advice is to get to know the other side. Give that person some voice. The limbic part, the feeling part needs a voice and it has to have words behind it. And you can just speak from the heart in plain language. The other thing too is I think we want to be perceived as being really smart, experienced, and suave. So we kind of overcomplicate it in our mind when just really basic language works. Everything I said to you didn't require an SAT word. Just really basic. It's really human and it's being honest. Again, so when people say, can I be honest with you? And you say yes, they're going to go straight to the reaction. You're fat, you're ugly, you're bald, you're bearded, whatever they're going to say. When that's not really what they should be saying at all. I find you attractive. Your image is different one than, you know, whatever it is, that's really what they're thinking. But they're not saying that. So far, it sounds like you explore the whole full conversation of your personas, right? You explore all that. The psyches, yep. Do you ever, is there ever one that you just straight up cut them down, like, not going to even entertain that? Yeah. The typical one that you cut down is the one that protects you, typically. Remember, there's the one that um, will do what everybody wants to please people, and then there's one that will protect you. The one that usually loses is the one that protects you, most of the time especially people in the creative field. So this is the one we have to learn to give voice to. It wants to protect you, but we want to make other people happy first. So we try to have to resolve that. So sometimes when people ask me for a favor, Chris, can you do this? Or can you give me feedback on my portfolio? When I know I have a presentation, I have to get out the door. I have to keep reminding myself, is helping them going to hurt me? And how do I want to respond then? I'm going to give you guys an exercise. I think I've done this before, but if I haven't, I mean, I have so many conversations with people on in different spaces, so let's get it on the podcast, okay? And some advice, some practical steps my therapist gave us, uh, especially for my wife, who's a classic caretaker, and our kids were running her ragged, you know. Here's what she said. When they say stuff, 
Why do you feel compelled to do it? Something that my kids would often say to my wife is, I'm hungry. And then she would spring into action, offer up options, jump on the stove and start making stuff. That's what she felt she had to do. And it was making her angry and resentful. So here's what my therapist said. She said, okay, when you hear something, the first step you have to ask yourself is, was a request being made of me? I'm hungry. Was a request being made of me? No. So the first thing is, there was no request. It was not even directed to you. Mom, I'm hungry. It was a request being made of me. Still no. And why is it no? Because there was no, no request. It was a statement. Mom, is there anything to eat? Okay. Finally, there's a request being made of me. Step number two. Is it in my power to do this? Mom, is there anything to eat? Yes, but I know how to cook. If I didn't know how to cook, then I could ignore it. Anytime the answer is no, you just ignore it. I'm hungry? Ignore it. Mom, I'm hungry? Ignore it. Mom, is there anything to eat? Now we can say something. Yes, there is. Okay. I've fulfilled the request. Can you make me something to eat, please? Then you go down the, down the line. So the first thing is, is a request being made of me? Two, do I have the power to do this? Three, do I want to do this? Even if a request is being made, even if you can do it, do you want to do it? And step four, how do I want to respond? And that's it. So she's taken a very clear step-by-step process of stopping you from just doing stuff without thinking about it. And I found that even though this was a solution for kids who don't know how to ask for stuff and a, and a mom who loves them too much to kind of make them do things a certain way and feeling resentful after the fact, into a very clear process that you can follow and apply to many, many things in your life. Like we want to please people. We want to make people happy. I get that. Yeah. It makes the world go around. It's great. But it can't be at the cost of hurting yourself or making it so that you start to resent the person and the situation. That's not healthy. That's not sustainable. So think about that. Because a client has $15,000 to do a $50,000 job, were they requesting that you do that? Do you have the power to do that? Do you want to do that? And then how do you want to respond? Pretty cool step-by-step thing there, right? Yeah. So I don't have the power to turn $15,000 into fifty. I just don't have that power. So I'm just going to tell you, I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. So where did I miss it? Which one of these things might have flexibility? A little bit of both, only one or the other. Do I have the power to do that? Yes, I do. Do I want to do it? No. Then here's how I'll respond, okay? So that's a psychologist's way of breaking down what I described to you earlier in a step-by-step manner. I'm Chris Doe. And I'm Stuart Schuster. And you're listening to The Future. The Future is hosted by me, Chris Doe. The show is edited by Stuart Schuster. Big thanks to Adam Sanborn, who composed our theme song. To subscribe to the Future Podcast, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Make sure you rate and review our episodes. Don't miss out on upcoming events, live streams, workshops, and announcements by going to thefuture.com and sign up for the newsletter link at the bottom. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at the future is here. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening.